Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ right here in Omaha, Nebraska, and welcome back to the to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners again today. Search the Scriptures, well, we do exactly that. As the name of the program suggests, we dig deep into God's Word. We try to help you understand what the Scriptures really teach in depth and in detail, but at the same time, we try to get it across in a way that is easy to understand and that makes sense for your everyday life. We're thankful to have this opportunity to be blessed with the means and the opportunity to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of radio. But also, as these programs are also podcast through our website, they go all over the world wherever the internet is available. And so we're thankful for that blessing to be able to teach God's Word on that widespread of basis as well. We're thankful that you're there, that you want to learn more. So we encourage you to continue to listen, tell everybody you can about Search the Scriptures. And if you're in the Omaha area, come and check us out in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Get to know us. Let us get to know you. Worship God with us. Study his word with us. Grow spiritually with us. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha. Bible classes begin at 9.30 on Sunday morning, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evening, we come back together at 6 o'clock each Sunday evening for another period of worship and Bible study. Wednesday evenings, middle of the week, good time to get spiritually recharged to take on the rest of the week. We come back together for midweek Bible classes each Wednesday evening at 6.30. You're welcome to any and all of these all of these services, and many of our radio listeners have come and checked us out and studied with us and worshiped God with us, and many have stayed on through the years. We're thankful for that. To God be all the glory. Also, go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click in the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. And when you do that, you will automatically receive to your smart device, whether that's your phone or computer or whatever device you choose, you'll receive this radio program, Search the Scriptures, Monday through Friday, automatically. So if you can't listen at a prescribed time, then you can download it and listen when you have the opportunity. And you'll also receive a Sunday morning Bible class, a Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and a short Bible study every single day, seven days a week, only about 13 minutes each day. But it keeps us in God's Word and thereby helps keep us strong in our faith. We call that today's Bible class. All of that will go to your smart device absolutely free. So take advantage of that and tell others to do the same. We're going to finish up our study today that we've been looking at over the last seven days, talking about a heart problem, hatred hatred. As I've emphasized, hatred just seems more profound across our land, more in your face, just outright hatred between between people in our culture, in our land right now than I've ever seen it before. And I've been around a while. The devil has been very successful in leading our people in this nation into hatred. If you don't agree with another person, then that person may just outright hate you. They may think you're you're worthy of being hated, and they may try to set about to destroy you in some way, maybe professionally, maybe by reputation, 
in some cases, it may be physical, violent, even murder. Well, some groups hate other groups. And again, there's no reasoning between them. They just outright hate them. They write them off. They hate them. And boy, they want to destroy that other group. Want to discredit them in whatever way that they can. The Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 5 that the devil has really been influential, has really been successful, very skilled at leading people into sin, into the ways of wickedness and evil. In fact, it says the world is under the sway of the wicked one. Hmm. We can see that in our land right now. And it seems to be getting worse and worse as the days and weeks and months go on. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Now, we've talked about hatred. I've tried to point out some basic facts of hatred. First, that it clouds our reason. If we, if we hate somebody or hate some group of people, we have a hard time seeing anything good about that people, about that person or those people, that group. We, in fact, we don't even want to hear about it because we hate them. And so automatically, our hatred filters everything pertaining to that individual or that group of people who we're hating. It blocks any positive perspective. It shuts it down immediately. And the worst thing about hatred, the worst fact is it will keep you out of heaven. And we looked at examples of hatred in the scriptures. Cain slew Abel, his own brother. He was very angry to begin with, and anger that is unchecked will develop into hatred. And hatred that is unchecked can develop into violence and even murder. Cain murdered his brother. We saw also that Joseph's brothers hated him so much that they plotted to kill him. But instead, they sold him into slavery and then deceived their father into thinking a wild animal had killed their brother and drug him away and eaten him. Well, they let their father think that. Their father did not see his son for many years thereafter. We noted also that one of David's sons, Absalom, hated his brother, half-brother, Amnon, also a son of David. And he let that anger or that hatred fester within him for two years and then plotted the murder of his half-brother and had him murdered. We also noted that text after text after text after text throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, condemn hatred. And now, in our last time together, we started talking about the antidote for hatred. How do we overcome hatred? How can we overcome hatred in our own hearts? And so I characterized hatred as a poison, and it is that exactly. I've continually described it in this series of studies as a two-edged sword. Now, we think you hate somebody, you're going to hurt that person. That's one edge of the sword. But the other edge of the sword hurts you because it tears you down morally, tears you down in your mindset, in your conscience, and in your, and in your soul. Your mindset is, it degrades, so it eats away at your heart like an acid or like a cancer. And it ends up, in so many cases, hurting the person 
who harbors that hatred far worse than the person whom he hates. How do we overcome hatred? Think of it as a poison again. What do you need for a po- to counteract a poison? You need an antidote. What is the antidote for hatred then? It is love. Love. Love is the answer, the antidote, the cure for hatred. Now, I made the comparison to darkness. Darkness is defined as the absence of light. You turn a light on, the darkness is dispelled. The two cannot abide, cannot coexist in the same, in the same space at the same time. Well, if you hate somebody, then you automatically do not love them. But if you love that person, you cannot hate them at the same time. Love dispels hatred. Hatred pushes out love. Hatred is the absence of love, just as darkness is the absence of light. But again, where light prevails, darkness is dispelled. Love is the absence of hatred. Love is the answer. It is the antidote. It is the cure for hatred, and particularly toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. But it is also that effective toward anybody in our lives. And between brothers and sisters in Christ in particular, it is a command. Jesus, in the night, uh, the night of his betrayal, commanded a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. John 13, verses 34 and 35. Now, he's, right, he, he's speaking that to his apostles in particular on that occasion, but the principle applies on a broader scale. This commandment was a new in direction. It is a love that specifically pertains to the relationship between followers of Christ, but the principle can be applied also on a broader scale. It was also new in scope. He said, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And his love is so deep that by the next day, he was hanging on that cross, dying to pay the price for the guilt of the sins of all mankind. So he did not just love the apostles. He loved everybody enough to die for them. What did Paul say in Romans chapter, uh, uh, chapter 5 and verse 8? God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, what do we read in Isaiah 59 and verse 2? Sin separates us from God. And yet, even in that sinful state, and when you drop down, when you look at the broader context there, beginning with verse 6 and reading all the way down through verse 10 in Romans chapter 5, it talks about us as being enemies of God because of our sin. Enemies of God when Christ died for us. And yet, God loves us that much that he sent his son to that cross to die for us. That's how much he loves us. Love one another as I have loved you. This is my first, this is my first commandment, that you love one another as I, have loved, as I have loved you, John 15 and verse 12. The apostle John emphasized this commandment at length in his first letter. 1 John 2 and verse 10, 
Loving our brother in Christ is one characteristic of true Christianity. He wrote, he who loves his brother abides in the light, the light of God's will, the light of God's teachings, the light of faithfulness to God. And this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. 1 John 3 and verse 23. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. 1 John 4 and verse 21. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. 1 John 5 and verse 2. Do you see how John continually weaves together in that first inspired letter that he wrote, 1 John, those five chapters, he continually and skillfully weaves together keeping God's commandments and loving the brethren, and loving the brethren. If we truly love God, we will live by his commandments. John 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He repeated it in verse 23. He repeated it in verse 20, uh, rather in verse 21. He repeated it again in verse 23 and verse 24. To not live by his commandments is to forfeit our right to eternal life. Revelation 22 and verse 14. Now, in a more general way, we are to love all mankind. When asked, that is when Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment in the law? He responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. But he did not stop there. He went on to note, and the second is like to it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39. And Paul wrote, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. And so you say, okay, well, that sounds good. But how do I love somebody I've hated for years? How do I turn that hatred into love? Well, when we talk about love in our English language, in our nation, we're largely talking about an emotional feeling. And I think to a great extent that that is why so many marriages end in divorce so quickly after they are enjoined in marriage because their love is not deep enough. It is still mainly emotional. But when we're talking about the highest quality of love that is that, that is, is, is talked about in the original Greek language in which the New Testament was originally written, that kind of love is not based or driven, based upon or driven by primarily emotion. Now, some would say there's no emotion in it at all. I'm not sure that I agree with that. But it is certainly not primarily based upon or primarily driven by pure emotion. Now, can can there be love without some kind of degree of emotion somewhere inherent within it? I, I think not. But, but this kind of love, and it's what Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. The 
word from the Greek that is translated in English there as love, the New King James or the King James Version at times translates it charity. But love, that's the highest form of love described in the Greek language. It's agape. Agape love. It is a love that is primarily driven by a mindset. I am committed to love you. Well, I hate you. You may, but I refuse to hate you in return. I have made up my mind to love you. No matter what, I will still love you. I think that kind of love is is really what parents exhibit a lot of times toward a child who has become disrespectful, disobedient, mean-spirited toward them, maybe even violent toward them, but they still love that child. They do not approve of those motion, of those emotions, of those actions on his or her part, but they still love them. They may exercise profound discipline on that child to try to correct them in their misbehavior, in their bad emotions, but they still love them. Now, that love is not primarily driven in those situations by emotion. It is driven by determination. That's my child. I will always love my child, no matter what. So this is a love by will that we're talking about, not primarily by emotion. I must put hatred out of my heart because it'll keep me out of heaven. It'll make me end up in hell. How do I do that? How do I put hatred out of my heart for a person I've hated for years or a group of people I found myself hating because of what they stand for and how they act, what they've done? I have to make up my mind to love them. Now, that does not mean I approve of the way they act, but I will love them. It's not always easy to love others. Even at times, some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, we find it difficult to love because of the way they act. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're commanded to love them. Sometimes we may have to simply love some of them by determination, by willpower. It is often referred to by combining the Greek with the English, agape love. Agape love, again, is a determined love. A person exhibits agape love because he believes it is the right thing to do not because he is necessarily compelled by emotion to love that person. Agape love is extended even to the unlovable. Now again, what's the highest form of agape love? God loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. John 3.16, Romans 5 and verse 8, while we were sinners, John talks about it in in 1 John chapter 14. Agape love is extended even to the unlovable. It is not characterized by a touchy-feely nature so common to 
love based primarily on emotion? Agape love can require a great deal of work, focus, determination, and often thankless on the part of the one extending it in way of reference to what they extend back. But the result can be very profound. It can change a person's life, both the one who exhibits that kind of love, but also the one who is the recipient of that love. Because you see, it's hard to continue to be mean to somebody who will not respond in kind, but who instead will just extend love to you. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, this kind of love, he says it suffers long. This kind of love is kind. Agape love does not envy. This kind of love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. This kind of love does not rejoice in iniquity. No, agape love rejoices in the truth. And this kind of love bears all things and believes all things. And this kind of love hopes all things and it endures all things. This love, not touchy-feely, not primarily emotional, This love, by will, by determination, never fails. Again, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. If we will incorporate these characteristics into our love toward others, particularly toward brothers and sisters in Christ, we cannot help but be better for it ourselves, and we'll make a difference for good in the lives of others. And certainly such quality love leaves no room for hatred. Indeed, exhibiting such love toward others could even melt the hatred in their hearts for us and cause them to put it away forever. We would do well to follow Paul's admonition. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5 and verse 16. And then he shortly thereafter launched into a lengthy discourse on the works of the flesh, verses 19 through 21, of which one is hatred. But if we'll walk in the Spirit, if we'll walk by the teachings of God's Word, then we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If we are determined to love a person we've struggled with being able to love, but we love them anyway, then there will be no place for hatred in our hearts for that person. If we will develop and live by the love that God has instructed in his word, that love will, by its very nature, leave no room for hatred in our hearts. Truly, without question, love is the antidote for hatred. We'd love to help you. You can contact us through our website at churchofchrist.com. Click on the email link. You can contact us that way. Or you can phone us at 402-498-8397. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to speak with you. Pray together, study together, talk together. Let's pray now. Father, help us 
to exhibit your love that you have extended toward us, to other people, to be a shining example of your love in our lives to everybody around us. Help us, Father, to always put hatred away from us, not let it have any place in our hearts because our hearts are full of love for you and for others around us. Thank you, Father, for loving us so much. Thank you for helping us along this line. And please, Father, we pray, please forgive us and hear a prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.